as we address this issue of law and gospel to sons and daughters of the king. And the date, of course, is Tuesday, April the 14th in the year of our Lord 2020. It's a Rumination Tuesday, which means we have with us our good friend, Pastor Mark Smith. Hi, Mark. Hey, Tom. A blessed Easter to you. And why am I addressing to sons and daughters of the king, do you think? Well, because uh, the Sunday after Easter, we usually uh, we usually uh, reflect on uh, Doubting Thomas. Well, no. <laughs> Maybe, am I confused? That's the title of the hymn we're looking at today. Well, of course. Well, people don't know that. Oh, Sons and Daughters of the King. That's number 470 in the Lutheran Service Well, a lot of people book. don't have that hymn, though, so they just look up, yeah. Oh, Sons and Daughters of the King. Oh, Sons and Daughters of the King. However, you do make a point that it's in two versions, uh, 470 and 471. Uh, the first version are for those who love to sing a lot of alleluias. You yes. sing 27 of them. The <laughs> second version, you only sing 15. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure just how that... The second melody goes. I'm not either. I We always use the first one. Right. And um, uh, you can sing that if you want. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I, I'm, I'm going to save my, save my energy for the discussion, Tom. All right. Excellent. Because it is a big discussion. It's nine stanzas long. And you made an excellent point that the Sunday after Easter, we usually go to what happened the first Sunday, Easter evening, because this is from John chapter 20, where we actually are doing the reading, the gospel reading. So it's very close to the hymn, a most appropriate hymn. So without further ado, if you would be so kind to read the first stanza. Okay, and I'll include all the all 27 hallelujahs too. No, o no. sons and daughters of the king, whom heavenly hosts in glory sing, today the grave has lost its sting. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. That was only three, not 27. By the time we're finished with the hymn, it'll be 27. You're right. <laughs> Unless we do the other hymn. Did you notice that both versions have the exact same words? It's just that the second version, you sing the Alleluia's three times at the beginning, but not again until the end. And each verse ends with just one Alleluia. That's right. What does Alleluia mean? Praise God. Yes. In Hebrew. Yes. And who are the sons and daughters of the king? That's all of us who believe in our risen Lord. Excellent. You know, a lot of times we're just referred to as the sons of God. But this one's an interesting one, sons and daughters. Um, this text is attributed to Jean Serrand, who died in 1494. So it's interesting that 
he wrote both sons and daughters of the king. Yeah, that is something. Yes. And that's, uh, let's see. That so that hymn is about hymns more than more than five hundred years old. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of the Reformation hymns obviously are that old, but some of the newer ones who that are also Reformation are are good. So if you were singing this or reading it to your children at home in preparation for this coming Sunday. The point you would be making is whether you have a son or a daughter, uh, they're both related to the king. And who's the king? King is our Lord Jesus. And who also is singing to them according to stanza one is singing to Jesus? Let's see. Oh, let's see. Heavenly host. Oh, the heavenly, all the heavenly host, all the, uh, the angels. Yes. Now, would you include... The people that we include at the Lord's Supper, namely the saints that have gone before us. Oh yes, yes, yes. They're 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 part of the the communion of saints. They're part of the, the the whole church on earth and in heaven. So it says today the grave has lost its sting. What's sting? What does the that refer of, to? The sting of death is sin. Yes. And you're actually quoting from First Corinthians, verse 15, uh, chapter fifteen. Yeah, let's see. How does it go? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I often will talk about that in confirmation that you can be stung, but there's a big difference whether you're stung by a mosquito or a poisonous snake. And this is the sting of a poisonous snake, the devil himself, that could cause eternal damnation. But it's lost its sting because the law has not only been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, but any breaking of the law on our part has been forgiven. That's right. We're pronounced forgiven. Stanza 2, that Easter morn at break of day... The faithful women went their way to seek the tomb where Jesus lay. I was just uh, listening last night uh, to some pastors who were trying to make the point that the history of the Bible is not that important. And so a lot of it can be considered as symbolism, like Adam and Eve, Jonah and the great fish, this sort of thing. And there was a debate, and it was really very good debate because the conservative side were saying, no, if the Bible says this, it means this. That's but right. In, prepar in preparation for um, tomorrow's Wednesday, I'm going to begin a study of Walther's Law and Gospel, and I'm going to do it on the basis of the 39 lectures he did which gave 25 principles. And one of the things he was talking about at the very beginning is that a person is not saved because they believe the history of the Bible. They are saved because they believe the promises. The promises, absolutely. History. So even if you believe the women went their way to seek the tomb where Jesus lay, 
that is not the kind of faith that saves you, but faith in the promises. And read stanza three as to what the angel says. An angel clad in white they see, who sits and speaks unto the three. Your Lord will go to Galilee. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Yes. So Galilee is the place that Jesus informs the women where he will also meet uh, with the disciples. But it's, it's interesting to note that he actually meets with them that day. That's right. And not in Galilee. That evening. That evening, yes. right. In, in Jerusalem. But later on, he does. And that's where we have that text that, yeah, he met with them and some doubted. And yes. then he, of course, preached to them. And don't forget, so, he also met with the, the two uh, disciples. I think one oh, was yes. named Cleopas. Met them on the way to uh, Emmaus. You right. know, he made a, I'll tell you, one of the characteristics of his resurrection body is he could he could cover great distances in no time at all. You know, he, he ends up with them at uh, Emmaus, and then at, at, at the same night, he's also with his disciples in Jerusalem in the upper room. And I'd even go further than that, Mark. Wouldn't you agree that even if he met with them at Emmaus, at the same time he could be meeting with the women at the grave? That's right. As he did because, that morning. Yes. What attribute is that called that God has? Uh, you know, he's uh, omnipresent. Excellent. Yes, he's omnipresent. And that refers not only in our time, but also in the past and in the future. That's right. He knows what the future is going to bring. And he, of course, uh, was in the past and remembers all that. And so, wouldn't you say the fact that he that he appears in all those different places so quickly, doesn't that, uh, doesn't that exemplify his, uh, his state of exaltation? Um, at that point, he's not yet exalted. Doesn't that occur at the ascension? No, his exaltation, first step of his exaltation, isn't that when he descended into hell? And that took place prior to this. Oh, that is correct. Wow. Yeah, exaltation, I, I'm thinking at the right hand of God. And that was until the ascension. But you are right. correct. And a lot of times when you hear the word descend into hell, People jump to the conclusion that that's part of his humiliation. But you made an excellent point. It's his exaltation. Right. Uh, where does that appear, that descend into hell? Oh, you mean the verse? Right. It's First Peter yeah. 3. First Peter 3. And he's not going to hell to be punished. Why, is no. he, why did he go to hell? He went down to to uh, to tell Satan and all of his cronies, "You guys are finished. You're washed up." Yes, I've conquered. And what spirits were the ones that he visited in hell, according to First Peter three? Those are the evil angels, and also those at the time of Noah who had right. been drowned. So I'll read four. That night. And so it's obviously the first 
Easter morn that night, the apostles met in fear. Among them came their master dear and said, my peace be with you here. Why are they meeting in fear if the women came back and said that from the dead? Well, they're afraid. They're afraid of what uh, uh, the authorities, uh, the leaders of the Jews, might do to them. They were they were afraid of that, and uh, That's correct. They were all so they were behind locked doors. The doors were locked, and yet Jesus appeared in the room. They also didn't believe the women. That's right, and you know the point that Jesus Jesus the first thing he says to them. Uh, Peace be with you. Yes. And uh, he wanted to make the point that you know, I am not angry with you. God is no, angry, no longer angry with you. That, is, that, uh, uh, that barrier between you and God has been destroyed by my, by my uh, death and resurrection. Yes. Who first announced peace in the Gospels uh, to a bunch of shepherds? Uh, the the uh, the angel appeared on uh, Christmas night, Christmas Eve. Right, and um, there was more than one angel. Right, all the heavenly host. Yeah, a lot of them, and they were singing and uh, peace on earth. Yes, that's right. Now I'm afraid that the next verse you're going to read is the reason that my parents named me Thomas. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Um, Five. When Thomas, when Thomas first the tidings heard that they had seen the risen Lord, he doubted the disciples' word. So not only do we have the disciples originally doubting the women, but of course Jesus did appear. Now, this doubt occurred the night of Easter, and it wasn't until a week later that Jesus then appeared again. And uh, this is right out of John 20. The disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's wow. right. Now, that's really kind of interesting because we're living in an age where we're under what's called the philosophy of rationalism, where you can't believe something unless you have evidence for it. And that evidence has to come out of your experience. And un unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, Christians who try and give evidence for what the Bible says that I believe falls way short of evidence as properly understood. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, not because of any evidence, but because of the word of God. That's right. His promises. His promises. You know, it's, it's kind of like that. It's like that faith. Remember the faith of the centurion who said, Lord, I'm a man under authority. 
Uh, oh, yes. And, and he said, remember how he, he said to Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. All you have to do is say the word. I will trust your promise that my servant will be healed. And remember how Jesus remarked, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. That's yes. the kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that the Holy Spirit imparts to us. We we don't believe because of the evidence, but we believe in His promises. And that individual who said that was a Gentile, right? And Jesus said, "That's a good point you bring up. That I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, referring to Jews." So, we skip to the next uh, week. I'll read verse six. My pierced side, O Thomas, see, and look upon my hands, my feet, not faithless, but believing be, and then the alleluias. Now, this occurred eight days later, when the disciples were inside again, but Thomas was with them. Again, the doors were locked, according to John chapter 20, verse 27 and following, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Now, I remember when I was at the seminary, I had a professor who indicated that there's no evidence from the Bible that Thomas actually touched Jesus. Uh, and, and that's why verse 6 says, My pierced side, O Thomas, see and look upon my hands, my feet, not faithless, but believing me. And that is what moved Thomas to refer to him as Lord and God. Do you have a different understanding than yeah. that? No, Tom, for the sake of our listeners, would you explain why that, I guess you could call it a debate. Did he touch, did he touch the wounds or not? Why is that debate important, or why is it worth uh, talking about? I think it's worth talking about because the disciples believe because they saw and heard Jesus, which is what why we believe. Now, somebody's going to say, what do you mean? We don't see Jesus. We don't hear him. Well, have they ever heard of a divine worship service where the people definitely see the work of Jesus at hand in the baptism of children in the Lord's Supper? They hear Jesus in the words of institution, in the readings for the day, in the sermon, in the hymns, uh, and, and also in the liturgy. So seeing and believing appears to me to be sufficient because what does Jesus say to him in verse 29? Have you believed because you have seen me? Notice he doesn't say because you have touched me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. How are we able to believe without seeing Jesus personally? That's the power of the Holy Spirit that's created that faith in us. That's right. And how does the Holy Spirit work? Not by sight, 
but by word and sacrament. By the promises of God, right. So tell us what happened next with stanza seven. No longer Thomas then denied. He saw the feet, the hands, the side. You are my Lord and God, he cried. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Boy, he refers to him. By the way, that's the first time any disciple referred to Jesus as God. Isn't that interesting? It's doubting Thomas that, yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. Now, didn't Peter, Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, prior to this. He didn't confess he was God. Yeah. He confessed that he was the Christ. The Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, the Christ is the word for Messiah. Yeah. uh, Means the anointed one. But to refer to Jesus as God, which he does there, is really, really uh, critical. And that's Thomas, uh, of all people. Yes. Uh, And the Greek word for God there that is used for Thomas is theos, where we get the word theology, word from God. And, of course, the word Lord is often used in the Bible uh, and it's the word Kyriak, which means the Lord. And Jesus often would say, I am the Lord. And the I am's often have the name of God, ego emi, I am who I am on them. But yeah, that's a good point you make. Thomas the doubter refers the first time as a disciple to Jesus as God. I'll read eight. How blessed are those who have not seen, and yet whose faith has constant being, for they eternal life shall win. And then the alleluias. So we win something? What does that mean? Oh, boy, yeah. (laughs) It's not like... It's not like we've attained something ourselves. We're, Excellent. We're, we're, it's a gift. It's an it's a absolutely free gift that's bestowed upon us. Yeah, the word win is, I hate to be critical of the hymn writer, but maybe the word win is a little confusing there. No, I think you make a good point. However, what, what's that um, group that goes around and... Um, uh, a magazine group, they come to your house and you get a, what, $2,000 a week for the rest of your life. I think <laughs> oh, you could see. Oh, the, uh, yes, what is that? The, uh, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, now. What is that group? I, I, I can't there you of... don't do anything, but the word win actually means to be victorious in the contest in conflict. Now, the conflict is, of course, against the devil. And we win freedom, even though we didn't do anything. Right. So I think the word win can be understood if explained properly in the same way. So if you would conclude with verse 9. Before I get into verse 9, just a reminder that it's it's those that 
have not seen and yet believe. They believe, they implicitly believe in the promises of God, and that faith is a gift of God itself. But then we get to verse 9. On this most holy day of days, be laud and jubilee and praise. To God your hearts and voices raise. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Yes, we are to give glory to God. And the way you explain glory is verse 9. You're giving glory when you give him laud, jubilee, and praise. Now, that word laud may not be understood by some. What does it mean? Uh, it means we. It, it means to, to praise, to worship. Yes, and that's what we do in every divine worship. So, sons and daughters of the King, we've talked about it. Next week, we'll be looking forward to the next hymn. And tomorrow, we're going to do a study of Walther's Law and Gospel. Thanks so much, Pastor Smith. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.